models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net, little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. Your used car or junker can help keep WERU running strong. Call 1-877-411-3662 and the Center for Car Donations will come and take away your used vehicle and sell it to benefit WERU. Cars, trucks, and boats are all eligible. Whether your vehicle will be driven again or sold for parts or scrap, it can still help your community radio station. Turn your old car into money for WERU. Call 1-877-411-3662 and you can find that number again at WERU.org under the support drop-down menu. Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox. On the web at mainboats.com. You're listening to Community Radio WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU, FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and all around the world at WERU.org. My name is Alan Sprague. I'm one of the rusty anchors along here with the other rusty anchor, Mike Joyce. Here for Boat Talk. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval. And uh, Mike probably doesn't realize it, but Boat Talk has been given an award. Boat Talk has been chosen or uh, delegated to be the number one show for people who call in and at some points during the show say frigate. No, yep, number one rated show for that number of people who call in and at some point say frigate i feel like groaning <laughs> we're going to get a certificate for that someday too now on the wall guess what though i just made a little pun too oh alan is the punny one the yep. pun being the lowest form of humor let's just say it right out loud all right <laughs> the foundation yeah but i just made a pun too because uh we were interviewed uh uh a couple months back by tom groaning from the working uh, waterfront yes, newspaper say yep yes he's probably groaning now too he could very well be, and we haven't seen that. It's uh, still working, uh, yet to be published, I believe. Uh, check the upcoming issue, I hope. But they, yeah, yeah, that was my little. Send it down plan. to Washington for clearance first. Groaning, groaning, or that's a uh, homonym, isn't it? Uh, as opposed to a pun. Uh, hard, yeah, that hard, is. Hard, hard. Yeah, words that sound the same but are spelled differently. We right? don't want to start overanalyzing this. I don't think. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's stick to boats. Hopefully. All right, um, you first. Oh, uh, 
Sure, we got a couple little uh, uh, notes this morning. Not too much. I've been away, so I haven't been uh, making any clippings or uh, possibly paying any attention. Been so, doing some research. I've been out uh, working on my street cred, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, had a watery East, to- East Coast tour of the uh, uh, United States of America in January and February, which is, you know, uh, uh, quite a delight, especially for somebody that calls out to see church, you know. I was, uh, I got a good spell at church. But anyway, we want to shout out to Wooden Boat Magazine this morning. It was 40 years ago this summer that John Wilson had just the balls, I would say, to start a magazine from a cabin without uh, his telephone was nailed to a tree at the end of the driveway. Yeah, Okay, and the famous photos were of him running the magazine, uh, sitting at the end of the driveway in a snowbank, uh, (laughs) you know, talking to a telephone tree. And uh, the magazine's turned 40 in July. It will be there. Uh, what, 200 and, uh, oh, what do we got here, 239th uh, issue coming up in July. They're going to be celebrating, have a big party over there. also want to shout out a couple people that are uh, stepping down. Olga Lang's been the art director for like 30 years or so. Wow. And she's retiring, and so is the publisher, Carl Kramer, my friend Carl, is uh, stepping down finally. And Carl has been... Uh, you know, he's uh, also helped start the uh, uh, Professional Boat Builder magazine, the Ibex uh, Marine uh, oh, really? yeah, that. confab that they have. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, uh, I would say his highest achievement would be the family boat building uh, challenge that they have at the wooden boat shows. Oh. <laughs> you know, has spread the most delight. Yep. So right. Carl's getting done as publisher. He's been there since uh, the mid-'80s or so. And uh, a couple people moving on before... Uh, Wooden Boat Magazine about to turn uh, 40, and John Wilson, I believe, still about as starry-eyed as ever, Hmm. you know, and the question being uh, the great boat talk question, what messed you up about boats so much when you was a kid, you know, and uh, so anyway, maybe we'll talk to them in the future, but Wooden Boat turning 40 this summer, pay attention, they'll be having a big party. All right. Yeah. Um, The... Maine DMR, Department of Marine Research, just issued some uh, statistics on lobsters, lobster landings last year. And it's kind of a mixed bag of report, I guess we'll call it. The, they did pretty well. They got the second highest number of uh, pounds of lobsters were landed last year. 125 million pounds of lobsters. That's it's a lot of lobsters were landed. Um, uh, the for, the price per pound went up also slightly last year, 20 cents per pound. But unfortunately, the bad news is that the price of pound is still the second lowest it's been since 1995. So we're getting more lobsters, but the price is still pretty low. So it's um, not a real good good thing for lobster fishermen right now. But they're sticking with it. And I, in this report also, I had a little chuckle. They uh, noticed that, or noted that 613 people in Maine have been landing periwinkles last year. Landing a little niche fishery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I didn't realize they kept track of that. Uh, you try to slay a mighty periwinkle on a, a February. I think periwinkles fall in that category of food where you spend more calories than you get. Could be. Now, I had uh, uh, my uh, little uh, tugboat tour of the East Coast this uh, 
uh, January and February. I had a couple of uh, interesting perspectives on the fishing industry. This started with uh, a fishing boat uh, coming into the dock in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and we met the captain down there, and he fixed us up with these boats. So uh, he was just in from George's Bank with 55,000 pounds of haddock, cod, uh, you know, hake, flats, uh, you know, whatever's. And uh, got to watch the unloading of the boat and the cycling of, of the crew and the, uh, the whole operation there, which was pretty interesting. And to watch those fish come into Gloucester and all those people jump too. And then to run around downtown Gloucester with Captain Steve and a bunch of dead fish. Mm. And walk into different places, okay, <laughs> restaurants and bars, and, and walk in like heroes going, hey, guess what we, oh, man. We, that was kind of fun. It was an interesting little little view of the, of the fishing industry, though. And, and then uh, down in Port Canaveral, Florida, got to spend some time on a, um, uh, a shrimper down there out of North Carolina. They um, uh, fished two nets out, off either side of the boat. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were headed down to the Florida Keys. They're going to be out there shrimping for a month. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And here's the thing. Uh, sustainability was the big buzzword mm -hmm. in all these places. And that's how the uh, main lobster industry is trying to brand itself nowadays, sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know, and will this keep working with a changing ocean? Yeah. Which it is. Just it statement of fact. Is. You know, be a global warming denier or anything you want, but statement of fact, the ocean is changing. And uh, so is the mix of fisheries. You know, uh, no shrimp this winter. Uh, scallops are down, uh, periwinkles are up, and, uh, you know, uh, seaweed, but, but uh, and the elvers are uh, going to be coming on in the next few weeks, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting. I'd like to say something else this morning on Boat Talk. I said it last week on the Barefoot Blues Hour, and I, I thought it uh, real hard out to sea recently, and, and that is that Muddy Waters has it exactly right. He has a song called The Same Thing. What makes a hound dog howl at the moon? What makes a man go crazy when a woman wears a dress so tight? Why does the, why does the sea heave like that? And it's all the same thing. And as uh, I got to talk with some other people, I don't think, my current picture is it's not an old white guy with a beard lives on a cloud, okay? But whatever all that has in common, I'm just absolutely in awe of it. Hmm. You know, all the same thing. The, the motion of the planet, the motion of the ocean, the, uh, you know, and just always a privilege to be at sea at sunrise, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. All right, the uh, main boat builders show is coming up in a couple of weeks. Actually, I think uh, next week. Yeah, starts starting starts on Friday. Um, there's a whole schedule that you can get by going to portlandyacht.com. Starts this Friday or the week from Friday, Alan. Says Friday the fourteenth. This coming right Friday. Yep. Okay. Very and, good. Yep. Saturday the fifteenth. Yep. That would be this weekend. Uh, Friday, our friend Rob Benson, who does the uh, table where he puts out all sorts of strange things that he's taken off boats. Mike and I have also seen these strange things that people come up with uh, little inventions or bad ideas or wrong things to do. You know, we've seen plenty. There's there, there's a great table that you ought to check out if you're down there. Go to Rob's. Um, Show and tell table. Nobody has ever had a bad time at the main boat builder show. Oh, it's a great time. And it's if you can't find anything interesting to look at or anybody to talk to, you ain't quite looking at it right, <laughs> chummy, okay? Yeah. Somebody good to listen to on Friday also is Harold Burnham. You remember Harold Burnham, the shipwright? Harold Burnham uh, yeah. built, uh, yes, uh, uh, helped me with the... Uh, uh, 
the schooner I delivered this summer out of uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts for the MDI Historical Society. Uh, oh, yeah, this Lewis Story. Lewis Story, yes. Yeah. And I believe uh, Lewis Story is being repaired this winter as well. Yeah, I've seen yeah. some pictures of it it's apart. I know right the story with that part in the pun. Uh, having crossed the Gulf of Maine twice in it last uh, summer, I'm glad to know that it was, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, what was wrong with the stem? The stem is missing right now. Um so Harold's going to be giving a talk on Friday afternoon down there, and John Johansson's going to be giving a talk that sounds very interesting on Saturday. Later on on Saturday afternoon, his talk's entitled Remarkable Shipwrecks of New England, New York, and the Canadian Maritimes. Harold is reputed to be a bit of a character. He runs his own shipyard down there, and, and he uh, uh, does a lot of uh, recreation, uh, historical kind of kind of work, and... He is a hard-working man who puts his head down and gets stuff done, and I don't believe he suffers foolishness uh, or ideas that he doesn't uh, believe in, all that. You know what I'm saying? I've been told, I haven't met Harold, but I've been urged to talk to him, and, and I'd recommend. Bad uh, ideas are quickly dismissed. Well, I'd like to say I'd recommend that talk if you're in the range, Main Boat Builder Show, down to uh, uh, Portland Yacht Services uh, yep. down on the... Uh, um, all weekend, basically. Waterfront in Portland, uh, the east end of the waterfront in Portland. Could I say one more thing this morning, Alan? You got, yep, just about right amount of time. Oh, heck, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we'll keep this short. I want to uh, say something about yelling. And in the context of on boats, but basically yelling anywhere, okay? And I got to see some stuff on this last trip that I'd already experienced before, which was a good thing, because otherwise it was, some of the stuff would mess you up if you took it real personal, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes when uh, somebody is yelling at you, you've got to just look at them and you go, that's not about me, that's their problem, you yeah. know? And somebody that yells at everybody is not an effective communicator. No, no. You just kind of write them off as that's their way of being and, and to let it blow by. And it's not pretty. No. It's not safe. It's not fun. It's hard to not And did I mention it? it and it's corrosive, yeah. and it, it uh, engenders more yelling is what it does. And then you find out that all the little resentments that you harbor running around, okay? <laughs> and you Because uh, here's the other thing. You can't yell back at the captain. Mm. Strictly speaking, you can't, okay? There's no place for that fight, all right? You basically got to stuff that until you're on the dock later on. Mm. And uh, right, wrong, or, uh, you know, you cannot fight with Captain. It's just, uh, and again, this is uh, kind of interesting general philosophy as well. And and let's say the Captain is uh, not happy with whatever and his frustrations coming out sideways Hmm. and uh like say being hard on people uh pretty unforgivable when you get right down to it and again uh um it's not pretty it's not safe and it's not fun yeah it should be on your resume though and it makes you want to yell at other people which is again uh, uh you know uh the only time uh in my view you get to yell on a boat is when you want somebody's attention or sometimes if we're laughing real You see hard. it sometimes in racers, too, which I don't think is necessary also. but yeah. Well, and uh, uh, danger uh, can be alerted, but, again, has to be carefully managed. And communication is everything, communication and trust. Yeah. And, again, uh, it is corrosive <laughs> on that. So, got to see some of that, too. Yeah. So, we're ready for our guest call. We're going to be talking with Rob Stevens. Rob is a... Uh, 
a shipwright down in southern Maine who is now involved with making a replica of the Virginia. We're going to talk about the name Virginia, but Virginia is the first ship. had to be very careful and say ship built in the state of Maine, probably in North America. So let's say, go right to Rob. Good morning, Rob. Welcome to Boat Talk. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Well, Mike and I are interested in hearing about um, the Virginia, but um, why don't you start by giving a little bit of history of where and why it was built? Well, uh, first of all, to deal with the name is uh, we're standing in northern Virginia. They were lost, Rob. Uh, well, uh, not not lost, just arrogant. Uh this was Northern Virginia. Uh, the French would call it New France. Uh, the Spanish would call it Northern Florida. Um, and the Spanish were probably you know, the Spanish had the Pope on their side because he gave this half of the uh, of the earth to the Spanish. So at least he had the Pope on their side. But um, the uh, at the same time as Jamestown, um, there was a Northern colony uh, established at the mouth of the Kennebec River. And they came here to get rich. They were, you know, going to, you know, find all the cities of gold or the gold mines and uh, the Northwest Passage and uh, what have you, Sassafras to cure syphilis. And um, uh, among other things they did was they uh, they built a boat, um, not as a means of escape, uh, but they built the boat, um, you know, for exploiting the resources here. Um, and in fact, the colony uh, sent a load of mast timbers uh, back um, to uh, uh, to England uh, in the in the one year or one year plus time period that it was here. Um, but they, you know, they built this little uh, thirty ton, and the uh, a ton is a size of a barrel. Um, it's it's sort of like. Uh, you talk about a barrel, a hogshead, a butt, a ton. A ton was 252 gallons. And the, uh, the ton was how the king's tax man uh, taxed, your, taxed your boat. Is he would measure the keel and the beam and the depth and figure out how many of these barrels called tons would fit. And that's how he taxed the boat. And uh, the... Uh, Knowing that the boat was a thirty, knowing that the boat was a pinnace for us, uh, was of not much use uh, because anything from a ship's boat to the Calmar Nickel uh, are pinnaces. Um, but knowing that she was thirty ton, the way I always say it is, uh, you could go up and down the coast and you know, say you want a thirty-six foot lobster boat. Well, it, they won't look exactly alike, but everybody will will look at them and know they're they're a main lobster boat. So that was, a, that was a useful piece of information on the designing of it. Can we stick with the history for a minute or two, Rob, before we get, get to building the actual boat here? Sure. These people showed up in uh, 1607 here in the middle of the summer and, uh, you know, in August, and they weren't quite ready for what happened to them in the winter. But by uh, December, the way I read it, half of them had already headed home. And yeah, they arrived in two boats, two ships, and uh, come... come uh, uh, December they sent half back. Um, in fact, that was the uh, that was the mass went back in that second boat that left in December. 
and they sent them back there with not even um, enough food. Uh, you know, there wasn't enough food to spare. And one of the reasons we even know about this is uh, they were given permission to uh, sell their supplies if they had to, and they sold their supplies in the Azores. And uh, the uh, Popham family sued the captain for having done that. And so we have the court record with the uh, uh, various just common sailors uh, saying that, you know, yeah, they had, they had been at uh, the colony here in Maine and, and witnessed um, the captain being permi- uh, given permission to, to sell the supplies if, if need be. Um, and a few people died on the return trip. Um, in part, they say, because they weren't cleaned. <laughs> now, when they landed, too, they found the natives to be a little bit wary. Well, uh, that's one thing is that you figure the the, um, the Europeans had already been here uh, for 100 years. Exactly. Um, and uh, they were always kidnapping uh, uh, natives. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it was around 1605, Weymouth kidnapped five or six uh, Indians around Pemaquid and took them back to England. And, uh, you know, some people refer to it as industrial espionage. Uh, A few of them lived with uh, 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 John Popham, and a few of them lived with um, Gorgias, the the guy, one of the the big big guys behind uh, uh, settling with now New England, and um, two of them, unfortunately for them, actually were sent back uh, a short while before uh, the Popham Colony to start the Popham Colony, but that boat got captured by the Spanish, and those poor two Indians ended up as uh, slaves in Spain, Um, and the, uh, the Popham colonists themselves brought... Uh, one back with him, uh, a person named Skidwaris, who had lived, I think, with uh, John Popham. And so he was sort of the go-between between the, uh, the natives and, um, and uh, the colonists. Um, but I would think that uh, this, this uh, habit of kidnapping people might not make your new neighbors that friendly. The natives had learned their lack of trust. And, oh, yeah. and I guess I would also point out, uh, for instance, I was just uh, reading up on Champlain last night in the same era, and, and uh, he tried to learn from the natives local knowledge. And uh, the French allied with the natives and, and formed, a, a, they both got something out of the relationship and built trust. And so it didn't have to be done that way, but the English were, as you say, they came here to get rich. They were looking for gold and sassafras. They were exploiters. Yeah. And the Indians got that right away. Yeah, yeah. My my limited knowledge of history seems that the French uh, treated the Native Americans better than the English or the Spanish did. Um, you know, they they more incorporated them into their into their lives. Oh, huge, Rob, and the the great example I'd like to point out, too, and and, uh, maybe a shout-out to my friends uh, Renee and Janine this morning, two delightful uh, Acadian ladies I rode back uh, on the plane from Florida with, you know, and these ladies know their history. Uh, And, again, the uh, most successful uh, Native, uh, you know, uh, settler relations were the Acadians at the top of the Bay of Fundy here. Yeah. Yep. And they didn't compete for diking those salt marshes with, with the Indians. And they intermarried and they traded. 
And when the Acadians get dispossessed, a lot of them run away and, and were uh, sheltered by the natives. You know? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, they successfully um, allied and, and learned to trust each other and, again, didn't exploit the same things, you know. So it could have been, of, can be done a little different. Fascinating is uh, in the uh, journal um, that was written by one of the people when they were coming uh, in the Popham colonies uh, is uh, when they were uh, you know approaching Maine, probably off in of Nova Scotia, I believe. On two separate occasions, they met uh, Biscay shallops, and when the shallops got near, they uh, it turned out they were completely crude by um, uh, Indians, and uh, and one of them, the Indians, you know, spoke some French. Uh, but the the part I love about it is um, they're not uh, they're not surprised uh, that the, these natives are in these European boats, you know, which I figure is one of two things: either they were aware already that there'd been quite a bit of European contact here, or it could be just that sailors were. You know, uh, from such a small world, they didn't realize that they should be surprised to see Native Americans in uh, Biscay shallops. Cross-pollination, man. And, yeah. and again, uh, uh, Champlain would talk to the natives and was able to form a pretty good idea of the continent of North America from the Great Lakes to the eastern seaboard just by chatting with people about rivers and portages. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. And, and mountains and stuff. Yeah. And these people got around. They knew their they knew their little world, you know. Yeah. And some of them, like the ones that got kidnapped, took some odysseys that are just stunning, you know, and and get uh, kidnapped by uh, Weymouth, and then they end up be able to greet the pilgrims fifteen years later. Yeah. Go, hey, pilgrims, how's it hanging? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's get back to uh, Bath and the Virginia. Uh, Whose idea to build this uh, boat the second time, Rob? Well, uh, I mean, it's, it's like a lot of these projects. Uh, you know, just some local people, you know, just in love with boats. And, and, you know, we definitely, you know, they had a tie here. And, uh, you know, got together, um, you know, Bud Warren and John Bradford and Jane Stevens and a, a number of people were, were all excited and, and uh, worked. We were trying to get it. It done by uh, 2007 for the 400th anniversary, but that just didn't hmm. uh, come together. Um, but uh, it's really just a bunch of local people, you know, with uh, not a lot of common sense, uh, deciding, yeah, let's build a boat, and uh, and that's that's where it is. I mean, it's all it's all a volunteer organization, um, which you know, that's part you know, one of the things I love about this these types of projects is, uh, you know, I love working with the volunteers. I love working with all the people who, who, you know, this boat is so important to them. Um, but it really was just a bunch of local people. Uh, I always joke just for examples, like the Dennis Sullivan out in Milwaukee, as I always said that they just a couple of guys sitting around a bar when the uh, pride of Baltimore sailed through when they decided they needed a boat. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Now, is there a, uh... Any kids or any educational component around this? That's actually a big part of this project. Um, the uh, uh, we have a summer program with uh, high school kids and um, or even I guess middle school kids, and uh, they uh, uh, they've worked on 
making some spars. Actually, a few years back uh, with Will West, they built a shallop uh, before we even laid the keel for the Virginia. Uh, the kids over the summer built a shallop. Um, that's a, a boat that would here. fit on Virginia. I beg your pardon? A boat that Virginia would carry. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, she's about 18 feet long. Yeah, would scout out, uh, yeah. you know, in front and uh, do all the uh, shallow work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, and and you know we're we're very lucky as a, a number of our board members and a number of our people, you know, are very committed to this. Uh, the educational aspect is a, is a major part of the boat. Um, uh, people ask, you know, uh, people ask me, you know, how uh, accurate is this boat? And um, you know, we we try as as much as we can to make it accurate, but you know, and I say we're probably uh, we were probably a scooch wider uh, than the original um, because we want to be able to carry a full classroom on the boat, um, and we also you figure the original boat carried uh, cargo for ballast, whereas we have a live load uh, on deck, um, so you have to you have to you know ballast for that, and so we're. We could be a scooch wider, but we still we still fall within um, the parameters of, of what's the correct size for this boat. I love the uh, vision of the barrels for tons. I love that. And uh, but she's about fifty foot long. Yeah, a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah, uh, fourteen and a half feet wide and draws about what six and a half feet. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. People ask me, and I always say I'm embarrassed. I'm building the boat, and I don't know exactly. <laughs> How long she is, you know. When when we're done, I'll tell you. Love it. And, uh, yeah, perfect way to build it. Uh, You know, uh, uh, three cubics, Lord. How how big you want me to build that? About three cubics, Lord, you know. Yeah. So, anyway. uh, Now, where's your, uh, you're uh, right under the Route 1 uh, bridge in Bath there, ain't you? We, as you're crossing the big bridge there on the Kennebec, uh, if you look to the north, we're that ugly white plastic building. uh, Right right there um it's the very first structure there's where you have the old railroad freight shed uh, which on saturdays is the farmer's market um and uh on the river side of the freight shed is uh, this big ugly white plastic building and you'll know where they're working if uh you see the flag of saint george flying um oh cool we uh you know normally we have the the uh, american flag flying when we're not there but when we are working we have the flag of saint george which is which would have been the british flag um at the time of the uh, colony cool when's the best times to catch you wednesdays and saturdays ah. we're there from nine to three on wednesdays and saturdays um it's basically just uh you know, I, I mean, I have a regular job, and, and so... Oh, we'll get to that. You know, that's the best I can I can uh, put in, and, and the guys are there. I mean, I'm sure a lot of those guys would be there seven days a week if, uh, if you know, I could, I could afford to be there that long. And not to, uh, again, point at any wingnut in general, but you just let any wingnut in particular walk in and, and pretty much able to put anybody to work. We take everybody. You know, I've worked on, I mean, like I say, that's one of the, the parts on this, uh, uh, on these projects is the volunteers are, are, you know, to me, one of the things that make one of the greatest things, and, and we'll take anybody. Um, 
we, uh, you know, I mean, you can sweep up. Uh, you can, uh, um, you know, if you're, you're probably, probably a lot of guys out there are better carpenters than I am. And, uh, you know, any anything in between, we will we will take it. So, Rob, are you going to put any sort of uh, ballast in the, in the inside of this? Well, uh, we will have the exterior uh, lead keel, and we'll just have a tiny bit of ballast uh, in the interior to uh, you know to get it to float on our lines. Did the original have a lead keel? No. Oh yeah. no. 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 Uh, you think? I mean, what a waste of what a waste of money. Uh, <laughs> you know, their their ballast is going to be their cargo. Right. Um, no, it's sort of a shame. Uh, uh, I, I I would have I'd love to to uh, build a boat exact you know to the best of our knowledge exactly as it was you know because uh, you know as you know some captains say to me you know uh, the way they're designed to to meet the Coast Guard stability rules they you know they just don't feel um, uh, like they should uh, that was sort of the fun thing about one of the other projects I was involved on with uh, the Viking ship and, uh, you know, not being Coast Guard inspected or what have you, we, uh, you know, we could build that um, to the best of our knowledge to, to what that should have been and, and see how she handled. It's hmm. interesting. So you think perhaps that the Coast Guard is uh, making the boats a little... Um I guess deeper than they need to be, just for stability's sake. Well, I'm just going to say they're making them safer. <laughs> I mean, you figure it really goes back to the American public. Is uh, uh, you know, basically what we've told the Coast Guard is that the the absolute priority is uh, you return with everybody you set off with, and. Um, you know, we don't care if that bankrupts, you know, mm. the the, uh, the business, the, the schooner, what have you. Uh, you know, we, you know, safety is our, right now, that's our biggest thing. And, uh, and uh, I don't, I don't criticize the Coast Guard. I, I think they have a tough job, you know, trying to, you know, come up with rules um, that will, that will work. And, you know, and, and my experience has been that basically... You develop a good relationship with the Coast Guard, and they'll trust you, uh, you know, to do it right. They've learned a lot of these lessons the hard way, and and uh, you know, seamen in general have learned a lot of these lessons the hard way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now we're talking about a uh, traditionally framed, uh, oaken framed uh, uh, vessel, uh, pretty heavy. We're talking about pretty good chunks of wood here, anyway. Yeah. Um, that's probably uh, one of the other um, slight and, and very few people would even notice, but that's an area where we're probably different from the original, is that, um, you know, we're building what is called double sawn frame, and the Virginia would have been loose footic. Um, oh, careful with your language here on the radio, <laughs> Rob, please now, uh, come on. Well, I, I figured You're going to have to explain a little bit about that. The number one radio station that uses the word "fuddick." There you go. You know? <laughs> You're going to have to explain just a bit more there. Well, uh, um, the way I the way I describe it is the uh, double sawn frame is uh, is built by craftsmen. Um, you have uh, uh, somebody draw out full size the boat 
and they will make patterns for the frame. And what it will be is like, say, on the Virginia, we have nine nine pieces of wood to make each frame. And uh, you're basically finding a way to take, you know, almost straight wood and make a curve. And by by having two layers of it, you know, you overlap the spots of where uh, the joints are. And uh, loose footed, uh tends to look about the same, uh, but the way that is done is, and I say, you know, the, the double sawn frame is built by craftsmen. The loose footed is built by artists. And what I mean by that is they go and they set up the stem and the stern post and put up a couple of frames and run some horizontal battens, ribbons around it, and then just fill in the frames, you know, as um, as they fit uh, throughout the boat. And when the thing is finished, it looks, they both look just about alike. And there's only a few uh, a few places you can uh, tell that, that it was uh, loose footic rather than double sawn. Um, we, were, we were doing uh, some work on the Western Union down in Key West a few years ago. And uh, only because I was rebuilding the transom area did I, did I realize that, uh, that she was built loose-footed. In 1939, in Key West, she was built loose-footed. Um, and you can see that on their website. You'll see photographs of her, and, and the only reason you can tell she's loose-footed is you'll see you know, about every eighth frame set up and ribbons, um, whereas a double sign, you, you just start it at you know, the, the midship frame and, and just work your way uh, in both directions, setting the frames up. And boat building is, you know, ultimately we're trying to solve a pretty intense practical problem, you know, and any way you can get there is not a bad thing. Yeah. 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 Hey, Rob, we got to mention the, uh, as long as we're talking all wild here on Boat Talk this morning, we ought to give out the phone number. Okay. Uh, 1-866-625-9378. And I believe there's another line besides the one we're talking to Rob Stevens on this morning. He is... Um, running the build on Virginia, America's first ship. And uh, you can Google that at, uh, isn't it mfship.com? Dot org. Dot org, org yeah. yeah. America's first ship dot, dot uh, org. And they're building that uh, just under the Route 1 bridge in Bath. And they're proud of their ugly plastic building, but you can <laughs> spot it pretty easy under the St. George flag. So, right. yeah. A lot of good pictures there on that website, MF ship.org now you said before that the colonists uh, again they landed in august uh they sent about half the people home in december and started building uh virginia pretty much right away and to me that screamed out a, a skate pod you know but you said it was not as much an escape pod as it was a uh, going to be a trading vessel and the original had a bit of a history too didn't it Got they around. uh they started building her uh, within a couple of days of landing, wow. um, and she was uh, she was finished and, and floating uh, before they were informed that um, uh, they were closing the colony down. Is the colony didn't really get closed down uh, um, by the people in Maine? Uh, what happened was they their financial backer died. Um, while they were here, and uh, uh, the leader of the colony here died. Very few people, some some people say just one person died uh, in the 14 months, but the, the leader of 
the colony here died. George Popham. George Popham. Yeah, Popham and died, his yeah. Next in command, Raleigh Gilbert, um, was uh, um, found out when the resupply ships came that his oldest brother had died. And so that meant that he had two choices. He either could sit there and deal with the mosquitoes that you're so famous down there in, in Popham, uh, or he could go back to the mansion, which he now being the oldest living son uh, would have in England. And uh, I think he found that an easy choice. I almost uh, scratch myself and think for a minute, Rob. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I love is like, uh, uh, you know, involved with designing the boat is we'll go in and say, okay, you know, she sailed from Maine to England. What does that prove? And the answer is nothing. It doesn't prove anything because we knew they were they they wanted to leave the colony, but some of the same people a few months later then sailed her from England to Jamestown, uh, which proves that it was a boat that you know uh, people would be willing to cross the Atlantic and decide uh, just to escape. Yep, proven ship. We have a phone call, Rob. So let's go to that and see what we have here. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. You're welcome. Welcome to Boat Talk. Nope, I guess they hung up. All right, so... Uh, and again, if you think you uh, like to add a uh, question, comment to the conversation this morning with Rob Stevens, give us a call, one 866 625 9378 Boat Talk, open to about anybody you want or buy, just like the Virginia build. It's kind of a cool thing. Rob, where are we at building the boat? We are uh, putting the hawse timbers in. Uh, so in other words, all, all the uh, square frames, all the frames that go from side to side um, are, are standing. And up in the bow, uh, uh, you start putting in what are called cant frames. And, and what they are is instead of going at 90 degrees to the keel, they start uh, following the shape of the bow like a fan. And the advantage of that is that uh, you can uh, use smaller pieces of wood. Uh, you don't have to, um, because they are, they are basically square to the skin of the hull rather than square to the keel. If they, if they remain square to the keel, they'd have an incredible angle on them uh, to get in that shape. So we've got the cant frames in, and between the cant frames and the stem, right next to the stem you have the night head frame. And then between the night head and the camp frames, you fill it up with hawse timbers, uh, which is basically just to help with uh, well, two things. One, it takes the strain of the anchor, and, and the other is it uh, you know, gives you a place, a good landing for your hood ends of your planking right up by the stem. So we've got that done, and the transom is getting uh, close to close to going up. And um, we have a few we have a few frames uh, right back by the transom. Um, that uh, that we still have to uh, uh, create, and actually, my plan is to um, put a few ribbons up uh, between the transom and the existing frames, and and get the right shapes for those last couple of frames. So the boat's mostly in frame, but hasn't been planked up yet. Right. Yeah. We we got some plank stock uh, recently. Um, we have plank stock up, you know, twenty up to twenty four feet. And uh, Oak. you know we're gonna uh, sticker it and season it. Hopefully, I mean it's uh, that's one of the curses that happens to these these things is we get this green oak 
and you know green oak white oak shrinks quite a bit and uh you know by the time it gets you know on these projects they they can take a while to build by the time you get ready to caulk it you can climb the boat like it was a ladder <laughs> now rob these colonists started this thing just after they landed and you got to imagine their their uh you know, uh, workability wasn't quite as uh, good as, you know, the plastic shed down to Bath there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, no, let's start with no electricity, you know, but uh, uh, they launched that thing uh, less than a year later. You were talking about you wanted it back in 2007, so uh, what, they, <laughs> they work harder or, or faster, well, or is it harder to build nowadays? What, what's up, bud? Uh, I'll tell you, the real reason is electricity makes us lousy woodworkers. Um. Because if you think about it, uh, you know, before electricity, let's say you were the laziest person ever born and you were working in a shipyard. Uh, you better know how to sharpen your axe. Uh, you better know how to take a bevel. And you better know how to swing that axe and cut right to your line because it's only your muscles that are going to remove that wood. Whereas nowadays, when we get somewhere near where we're supposed to be, and we get out the power planers, and we make all this noise, and we have this big pile of shavings around us, and everybody thinks, oh, look, they're working so hard. Look at all that noise. Look at all that shavings. Well, if we, if we, uh, you know, were better at measuring and cutting right to the line, we wouldn't be doing all of that. In some ways, they worked harder than us, and they valued their labor more. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that they worked harder. I think, I guess they probably worked smarter, you know. Um, and I mean, and the, and the problem is, is that it's like, uh, I, you know, I feel that it's, you know, you, you know, the day you start building a boat, you know how to do it and it'll take you the rest of your life and you still don't know how to do it. I mean, I'm learning every day on, uh, on how to build a boat. Um, uh, and, and I mean, you figure, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, I, you know, I can't say for sure about the well actually i'm, I'm going to make a, a guess is uh we actually know the name of the shipwright who built the boat and i think that's unusual um that uh that that name that you know they bothered to record the name of the shipwright um and so the feeling is and also the fact that you know the journal says that within days of landing they started building the uh, uh a pinnace um you know, makes you makes you you know think that they they went over planning to build the boat, and they must have known you know definitely that the wood was there, and uh, and so maybe they sent a number of shipwrights over, and you know the advantage I always say is uh, uh, you know before, you know these early guys was that when you went to work you know you worked with a, a number of other guys and. A quarter of them had been building boats for 40 years, and a quarter of them had been building them for 30, and a quarter for 20. And, and so not only you were learning from people who had done this, but you were learning from people who had learned from people. I mean, it was just a constant, you know, uh, 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 source, uh, resource, you know, for the people who knew how to do these things and get them done. Um, and I think that's why, you know, if you actually, if you look at the records, their work hours were not uh, necessarily that much greater than ours. I mean, uh, a lot of the things I'm seeing when you subtract out how much time they were allowed for lunch and uh, uh, dinner or what have you, they were working nine and a half hours a day. Yeah. So they were working nine and a half hours a day, 
and uh, they were probably working half day, or these guys were probably working all day, uh, sun, uh, Saturday. So, uh, But you figure, also, I mean, the amazing thing is, if you think about it, if they sent half the colonists back in, in uh, December, that left 50 people, and these 50 people you know, built this boat um, and built some form of colony. I mean, the archaeologists have found it, the remains of a number of structures, um, they found the evidence that some form of wall, I mean, not the, not the stone wall seen on the map, but, you know, some form of wall was, was, uh, dug around it. And, you know, they had to, they had to get their food and they had to, uh, go find those cities of gold that were obviously just up the river. And they also had to wonder, why is it so damn cold? Because they, they thought the climate was going to be a little bit more hospitable at this latitude, and it wasn't, so they're a little taken by that. Yeah. Hey, uh, speaking again with Rob Stevens this morning, and we got to apologize. When the phone rings here, uh, the other line does not pick up right. We're uh, getting phone calls, but uh, she only gets a dial tone when she picks it up, so I apologize this morning. But we're doing good with Rob. Rob, you've got your own... Uh, business down in Phippsburg, don't you? I have a, I have a little shop down in uh, Hermit Island in, uh, in Phippsburg, um, but I end up, uh, I, like I say little, I mean, I end up traveling most of the time. Um, but, so it's like I get to work on a number of these projects that are, you know, both historical and, and you know, volunteer-based uh, and what have you, and uh, um, I love doing that that part i always say that like uh when i you know when i work on one of these if i build a yacht i make a family happy if i build one of of one of these big boats um you know i make a whole community happy and uh and i make myself happy so (laughs) works out great that's a secret you mentioned a viking boat before yeah uh we actually uh oh gosh one of the probably the best job i ever got to do was uh uh, Hodding Carter um, approached me back in the oh ninety six about building a Viking ship um, to, uh, to commemorate the one thousandth anniversary of Vikings sailing to the New World, which you know we know was around the year one thousand. And uh, oh yeah, we got to build this Viking ship that was uh, uh, um, as close to accurate as we we could possibly do and then we sailed it uh from uh leif erickson's house site in greenland um to uh baffin island and down the coast of labrador to lonzo meadows in uh, newfoundland uh and just you know you know and, and there's a funny thing is like i here i have this contract uh with uh Hodding, and my contract is saying um uh this is not a, by current Coast Guard standards, this is not a seaworthy boat, and, <laughs> and no, I am not a master shipwright. Uh, because, you know, it, it definitely was not by Coast Guard standards seaworthy, and uh, and a lawyer told me that I, I can't make a claim to be a master shipwright uh, on a legal contract unless there's a, a guild the system that I go through to, you know, to work my way up to master shipwright. Well, some people just get stuff, Rob, uh, you know, and again, uh, you know, uh, either are or you aren't, no matter who decides uh, wh- wh- whether to stamp you with what. You are or you aren't, and I'd say you, I think you are, so. And having a good time doing it, uh, good for you. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
I got to drop in. We uh, uh, do some puns around boat talk and a homonym earlier. I met um, uh, Viking uh, this this uh, uh, on this last uh, uh, boat delivery. I just did a couple of tugboats. Met uh, Viking Gustafen. Yeah. You know is, Viking uh, at all? I'm sorry, say that again? Viking Gustafen. She runs the uh, Gloucester Marine Railway. Right down in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and uh, that is a cool, cool place. Everybody down there is very cool, but I saw her business card before I, I figured out who who Viking was, and I had I had pictured somebody different than the cool blonde lady as yeah. Viking Gustafson, you know. It's, uh, we were down there uh, doing a couple of shifts for the tea party, uh, you know, uh, recently, and, uh, you know, you, do, you know what her brother's name is. No. Peter. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, your family named you Viking and they named it, you know, the, the Peter, yeah. son gets to Run the out of imagination right after that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, very cool place. I, I love the way they operate down there, and it's owned, uh, it's America's oldest shipyard. I'm wearing my uh, Gloucester Marine Railway T-shirt at the present time, and it's owned by a number of families, and, yeah. and uh, they service the fishing industry, which, again, was an interesting uh, slice of... Uh, sociology when I was just recently down there. I got spent about a week working on my knees in the freezing cold down there yeah, in yeah. January. So yeah. shout out to those people too. Rob, what other project, what projects you got going on in the uh, Rob Stevens shipyard well, nowadays besides right now Virginia? Uh, working for Leon Poindexter on the uh, Oliver Hazard Perry down in Rhode Island. Wow. Sounds uh, fun. She, she, I don't know if you're audience is familiar with her but she's a big steel uh ship um vaguely war of 1812 design um and i mean she is she's an honest to god ship she you know three masts with scoresoles on all the masts and um i think she's supposed to be the second largest uh you know american registered ship that'll be sailing uh just uh, below the uh, the Coast Guard Eagle, I think is what they say. And what's your part of this? Well, we're uh, we're doing stuff like we did the uh, the wooden rails on her and the pin rails, and we'll be doing the fife rails. And uh, like right now, I'm I'm uh, uh, cladding the interior of the pilot house with wood to make it look like it, you know, like a, it was a wooden boat. Um, and this is the first time I've ever worked on a steel boat, and I was sort of surprised to find that uh, they they have the same problems as a as a uh, uh, a wooden ship. Yeah. When the Coast Guard comes, the Coast Guard wants to be able to inspect the inside of the hull. Yeah. And so, what we're putting on, cladding the interior of the pilot house, because it is a you know it's boat you know it's part of the watertight integrity. It has to be removable, so they can, you know, if they ask, they can check the wells and the plates and what have you. That's um, all right. And then the, uh, most of the spars, except for the three lowers and the bowsprit itself, are going to be wood. Well, right, we those have... are being made out on the West Coast. Um, I want to say uh, the Grays Harbor guys, I think, are the ones doing it. But we'll be, uh, we'll be working with the riggers, um, you know, cutting shivs and, and making octagons in the center of the yards and um, making the fighting tops and what have you. Rob, uh, Rob, um, we, ha- we have a phone call, so let's try to get squeeze that in right here before the end and see if we can make it work. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi there. Ah, good morning. Um, 
great show. I just wanted to make the announcement also that uh, Belfast took the traditionally built Malcolm G down to the Hull Life Station um, uh, snow row last weekend and uh, had a great time, and we and we won our division. A rowing gig. The rowing gigs. Yes. The Cornish pilot gig. One, one again, I should say. Yeah. Yes. Well, congratulations to you. Yeah. And if, if people haven't been down to Belfast to see the Malcolm G, she's our newest of the three boats, and she is a beautiful boat. And apparently fast, too. Yeah. Some more yeah. traditional boating. This is this is a come boating right in Belfast. Correct. Correct. Well, good. And uh, more power to you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Let's back to Rob. Well, Rob, you can see what happens on Boat Talk, and you never know what's going to be happening next, but that's that's what makes it so great. Well, because you have so little time left, I'm going to tell you this story, then, and you won't be able to ask me what I mean, but uh, yeah. I used to go to the snow row back the first years, and um, I'm going to take credit for having beaten Crusher Casey in the snow row. All right. And you obviously know who Crusher Casey is. Uh, no, you try talk all trash you want right here, but with, with a Crusher, name like Crusher that, Crusher <laughs> Casey was uh, um, the uh, uh, was a boxer. Um, he beat or he fought the English, the United Kingdom's uh, champion to a draw. Uh, he was also a rower, and by himself, he beat the Nova Scotian team. Um, and just to borrow those leaky dory in Boston, and uh, he, you know, he was famous for boxing, famous for rowing, and I beat him. Uh, my team beat him. There you uh, go. From the apprentice shop, and I don't care that he was 82 years old when <laughs> I beat hey. him, and I don't care that he was recovering from a gunshot wound when <laughs> I beat him. We beat the apprentice shop team. Beat. Crusher Casey. I'm with you on that. Yep. Congratulations. Christ, I bragged that up pretty good myself. No, it wasn't you that shot him, was it? I didn't shoot him, but the damnedest thing was 10 years later, my sister marries a guy 600 miles away, and it turns out to be a nephew of Crusher Casey. Huh. All connected. Yeah. Yeah. We have we are running into the corner of Boat Talk this morning. We want to thank Amy Brown for engineering, and uh, we had some phone difficulties, but, you know, it's all turned out fairly well. Uh, talking to Rob Stevens this morning, and again, they're uh, recreating America's first built ship, Virginia, the Popham Colonist, built down in the winter of 1607, and, uh, you know, kind of a hard time they were having back then. Uh, and you can join this project. Uh, give the contacts again, if you would, please, Rob. Uh, we are, uh, you can find us on the internet at, uh, mfship.org, and, uh, we're on Facebook, and you can just come by on, uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays from noon to three, from noon, from nine to three, uh, and we are there, it's, uh, it's all volunteers, and we're there Wednesdays and Saturdays working on it, and hopefully maybe in the summer we might even be working on it more than that. Too cool. Very good, Rob. And good talking to you. Well, I appreciate you giving us the publicity. All right, thank you. Playing the music, Alan. Yep, about time for us to uh, word out. shove off and make room for Rich Hill Singer coming up next year on Community Radio, WERU FM, Blue Hill. I survived the bills of mode and I survived the sales, sir. I survived the catch of fish and take some home to lie, sir.
support for WERU.